tension's not going away. So we might as well put on our seatbelt and figure out, okay, this tension has two beneficial upsides that are going to contribute to great leadership. How do we do both? If we choose one or the other, we're going to get in trouble. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, your host and a coach here at Quantivos. And with me today is another Quantivos coach, Cliff Kaiser. Welcome, Cliff. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. Cliff, our topic today is polarity. For those listeners who think North and South Pole or <laughs> positive and negative magnets yeah. um, or batteries, yeah. could you help us understand what polarity is in the context of the world of work. Sure. It's two goods. It's two goods that appear to be at cross purposes that are actually both necessary. And not only are they both necessary, they're interdependent with each other. They're part of an energy system that's actually very predictable. They show up as a pair typically. So that the definition of a polarity would be an interdependent pair that has two pole values that rely on each other over time to achieve some greater purpose. And that, that this simple metaphor that we like to use just because everyone, you know, gets it quick to snap is inhale and exhale. I mean, they just show up as a pair. They both serve unique functions. The inhale, you get oxygen. Exhale, you get rid of carbon dioxide. You can't do just one. <laughs> if, you, if you try, I, I can promise you, you're going to get in trouble. So in leadership, these polarities show up, they tend to show up in pairs. Obviously there are interdependencies of more than two, but they tend to, to come into our awareness as a choice between two alternatives, both of which are good, which is what makes the tension difficult. I was actually having a conversation with a woman leader this morning, and she was talking about the need to be assertive. And at the same time, she says, you know, I, that's not how I'm wired. I, I would really like to be more cooperative and, and supportive of people, but I keep finding myself in a tension where if I'm too supportive, I get taken advantage of. And so I've got to, I've got to be a sir. Yeah. I'm sure that's a unique challenge for you. And I suspect a unique challenge for women leaders in general for a variety of reasons we won't go into, but I said, if, if you'd like, if it would be of help to you, we could, we could map it out. And it only take us a few minutes if you want to explore that. So we, we actually mapped the tension of this polarity the same way I just did with inhale and exhale. And I said, what are the benefits of inhale? You know, what are the benefits of exhale? And instead of saying, get oxygen and get rid of carbon dioxide, she said, well, I can hold people accountable for performance on the assertiveness side. And I can, I can mentor and, and I can support them, you know, in the more kind of cooperative uh, side. And she said, but the, you know, the problem is when I'm assertive, I'm afraid I'm going to be viewed as overbearing 
And when I'm supportive, I'm afraid I'm going to end up being taken advantage of. So you can see how if you overfocus on inhale without exhale, you, you know, you have too much carbon dioxide. If you overfocus on exhale with a collective inhale, you got a lack of oxygen. So the tension's not going away. So we might as well put on our seatbelt and figure out, okay, this tension has two beneficial upsides that are going to contribute to great leadership. How do we do both? If we choose one or the other, we're going to get in trouble. So we have to figure out as leaders, first of all, it was interesting that she identified her general preference. You know, she's got a, she, I'd like to be over here, <laughs> but leadership requires, especially with some people that I, I have to do this other thing that's, that's not really how I'm wired. So there's, there's a recognition of natural strengths that we can, that we can own and we can keep. And then the other upside pole tension tends to be the growth edge dimension that we're not, it's not as easy. So it's kind of like being left-handed or right-handed. You've got, you'd probably have a preference. Some people are ambidextrous, but most people, when they go to reach for the pen, they go with their preferred hand and they write with, you know, preferred hand and they get good at it. It's not that they don't use their other hand, but there's a, there's a natural preference, just easier. And so the fact that we have this default is um, not a bad thing, but from the standpoint of values, it can get us in trouble because we tend to overuse a particular value to the neglect of the other value. That's what gets us in trouble. One last thing I'll say about that, because there's an actually very, I think, fascinating point that came into my awareness about 15 years into learning this methodology. And what it was is that there's actually, you've heard that saying, every strength taken to an extreme becomes a weakness. It's actually not true. There's no downside to a strength. The strength is the strength. What gets the strength in trouble is the neglect of the other interdependent pull to that strength. So there's nothing wrong with the strength. It's the strength without the other side that leads to that, to that limitation. And it works on the other side as well. So if you just look at something as simple as say structure and flexibility, you know, there's nothing wrong with structure. Structure is great. It's the structure to the neglect of the flexibility that, that gets you into the rigidity, or it's the, the flexibility to the neglect of a structure that gets you into chaos, but there's nothing wrong inherently with flexibility or structure. It's, it's the neglect of the other pole that it's interdependent with that actually causes the, the dysfunction. And that was a huge revelation to me about why it's important for leaders, teams, organizations, and coaches to be aware that values come in pairs. I mean, it's important to just recognize that for every strength value, that somewhere in there is an interdependent strength value that, that is, is connected to that, just like inhale and exhale. Cliff, as I'm listening to a number of, I guess, polarities <laughs> that I work with with clients all the time come to mind, empathy and accountability, candor and caring. Yeah. And... The really big one that I want to dig into a little bit with you, because I no longer use this terminology, but work-life balance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What I would always 
work with my clients around when we were talking about work-life balance is try standing on one leg. <laughs> it's not static. Yeah. That balance is a dynamic balance. You're constantly having to adjust one direction or another. And what COVID has really shown us, among other things, is that for many people, the success comes not in trying to balance, mm -hmm. but in learning to blend. Yeah. How does all that resonate with what you're talking about, <laughs> the polarity front? Uh, it's, it's great. I was smiling when, if you noticed when you were sharing that, because I've been practicing Tai Chi for, well, the, the majority of my life now. And, you know, there's a process of learning how to gain. So there's a balance on two legs that's like the most stable place that you can be. But the, the limitation to that is you've got very little agility. Like you're really kind of a target in, in, from a martial arts standpoint. You're sort of, you know, stuck there. <laughs> so what you learn to do over time is you learn to sink down into one leg and pour all your weight into that leg. And you learn how to slowly lift up your other leg off the ground so that you can get the mental sort of muscle memory going around what it feels like to get the, as much stability as you can in that one leg, you know, for a moment, you can't stay there for long for all the reasons you just said, but then you can switch over and then you learn how to pour your weight into that leg and lift up your other leg. And it doesn't matter at one level, which is just like with your hands, we have a preference for, you know, we probably kick for instance, with one leg or whatever. So it's probably easier to keep your balance on one leg. But as you learn to shift back and forth and hold this balance on one leg and then the other leg, what you're developing a capacity to do is to gain agility. So there's stability, the most stability that you can get in both legs. And then there's an agility that comes through the ability to hold your weight on one leg or the other. Now, last thing about the agility, the benefit of that is if you can hold your balance on one leg, you've got all kinds of options that come through positioning your other leg forward, backwards to the side in case you need to move in one direction or the other. So for 180 degrees, you know, you've got incredible agility to move. The downside is we're not as balanced in one leg as we are with two. It's just kind of a reality. But boy, do we get a benefit when we can do it pretty well on both legs because we have a total of 360 degrees of possibility of moving based on our need and whatever the situation is requiring. So I do an exercise around stability and agility that's based on Tai Chi that I think has a lot of resonance with this, this thing you're talking about, for instance, of work and home where, you know, we're getting our balance, but then we're coming over here. Now we're getting our balance. We're coming over here. Or we're, we're shifting, we're moving. It's very dynamic. So if you want to look at the greater purpose of stability and agility, the greater purpose would be a dynamic balance. Earlier, you were giving an example of a leader struggling between being more supportive and being more 
authoritarian, if you will. Challenging, yeah. How do you work with the clients, first of all, to identify what the polarities are that they are challenged by, and then once they're identified, now what? Yeah. Oh, wow. That <laughs> Now I see why you're in charge of these sessions here. That's a great question. I wish we had a couple of hours. The quick answer. There's a, a mnemonic called small, S-M-A-L-L, -L, start small to go big. And the, the thing I remember, try to keep in, in mind around starting small to go big is first seeing, is this, is this an either or issue or is this a both and issue? And if it's a both and issue, the question is, what are the two neutral poles? So that's the seeing step. If you've got a polarity after going through that first step and you say, wait, this isn't, this isn't an either or between challenging and supporting. This is a both and. Okay. If we've got that pinned down, then we can move to the mapping step, which we can start asking some questions about what are the benefits of each polls and what are the limitations of each poll. So we can spend some time there exploring what's the predictable dynamic at play that works exactly like inhale and exhale, the two upsides and the two downsides and the greater purpose and the deeper fear. We can, we can just, you know, we don't, we don't need to ever mention polarity to the client, but we can definitely, if we understand a little bit about polarities, we can use the mental model in our head to inform the questions. So, so tell me a, a bit more. It sounds like you said, what I heard you say is that you'd like to be over here, but you can't be all the time. Cause so let's, let's explore that and just go with the energy and start with where they are. So what are the things you love about this easy being supportive? And then you also mentioned that you can't stay there all the time. What, what happens when you do stay there too long? Oh, I get taken advantage of. And so you're saying you needed this other, this other side. Tell me more about the benefits of challenging. Well, you know, I get, I get the results that I um, am expecting and that I've set out some expectations about what happens if you overemphasize that challenging without the, the supporting, oh, well, people think I'm, you know, authoritative or rigid or, you know, kind of a jerk, whatever. And I just, that's not me. All right. So we've actually then in that mapping process, gotten a little bit clearer about the dynamic. And then in the A, assessing, <laughs> SMA, small, the A is, so how do you think you're doing? How do you think you're doing in that process? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm down here, I'm over here. I think I do pretty well. I'm not sure everyone else thinks I do. You know, how would you know, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we, we, can, we can start talking about the assessing and learning from that self-assessment. And then we can start moving into what would be some steps you could take that would help you accomplish support and challenge in your leadership, perhaps in a real situation or something. We can begin to explore some experiments. And those experiments typically will be most challenging around their less preferred pole. There will be less resistance to those experiments if they know that they don't have to lose their preferred pole. <laughs> so usually, the way these tensions get off track, Brian, is smart people who probably got into leadership because they're great problem solvers. When they experience these tensions, they treat it as an or. I was going to say just that this is a both end, yeah. not an either or. 
It's so easy and we all do it. It's so easy. I've been working with Barry Johnson since I hired him in 2006 and it does not cease to amaze me how with all the benefits that I have had in learning from him and helping to advance the theory and the, the technologies and our resource platform and the two books that we've written under the auspices of our organization and getting to work with the guru, Barry Johnson, every week, I can still completely screw these things up uh, just because it's so easy to be blind to what comes so easy to us in terms of our strengths. And we get really almost immune. Talk about immunity to change. We get immune to the downsides of our preferences. And the more we get immune to it, the more we hear about that immunity or that blind spot from other people who tell us we need to be more of the other thing, <laughs> which triggers the fear of the downside of that other thing, which is another part of the immunity change situation, that fear of the, it's, it's not the upside that's the problem, it's the fear of the downside of that, of that other pole that actually is triggering for us. And there's also a subtle assumption that if we do that other thing, we're gonna lose the thing we love. It's gonna go away. And that's partly rooted in this either or mindset. Yeah, I would like to go back to, just very briefly, the acronym first. Sure. So see the interdependencies, map the tensions, assess the tensions. What are the two L's? Learning tends to go hand in hand with the assessment. Um, by the way, uh, mapping tends to go hand in hand with the seeing. So if you've got a polarity, mapping's the, the next logical step. Once you've mapped a polarity and you, you see how the dynamic works, the next logical step is to say, how are we doing? And the next thing that happens after we start self-assessing or actually having others participate in assessing our performance, we learn. We learn from it. So the first L is, is learning. Sometimes that learning is welcomed and appreciated. Sometimes it's resisted, but it's less likely to be resisted if people have a more complete picture of the tension because they'll give themselves some grace that it is rather easy to get in trouble by over-focusing on a strength. I would not be the first person who's ever done that kind of thing, right? And then the last L is once you've got a handle on the first four steps, which is, you may think, gosh, that, that takes a lot of time. It doesn't have to take a lot of time, but the fact that you've taken enough reflection time in the tension between these pole values, the leveraging step is the process of developing clear actions that will enable the upsides of both pole results and Early warning signs, which uh, every time I say early warning signs, I get a little bit of like a little butterfly in my stomach because early warning signs really, it's the hardest dimension of the five-step process to really get right. Early warning signs are measurable indicators, the types of things that you can actually count. Like you could, you could capture it on a video or an audio that tells you that you're starting to get into one downside or the other 
before it becomes a major issue, before it becomes a problem. And in my experience, early warning signs, I mean, they seldom exist in organization. Well, they do, but they're just not, they're not tracked. They're not really paid enough attention to. They're kind of carping at the water cooler sort of thing. And if they were tracked, it would keep us out of the downsides of one pole or the other. And it requires us seeking feedback and asking hard questions about how we're doing as leaders and teams and organizations, and then self-correcting when we hear about it, when we hear that feedback. So the early warning signs, if they're not there, it's just like not having any guardrails at all. Actually, guardrails would not be the good metaphor. When I think of guardrail, I think of the guardrails on a, like a highway. Notice now they have built a new thing on highways where in the shoulder lane, they have these strips now that are like every 10 feet. And so if you start to bump over into the shoulder, you actually hear the rumbles before you hit the guardrail. Early warning signs are more like the rumble strips that keep you from smashing into the guardrail. If we had those 50 years ago or 25 years ago or 10 years ago, we probably would have saved a lot of lives. And it's the same thing with early warning signs. It's like we could have avoided a boatload of unnecessary pain around the tension between, say, you know, structure and flexibility. If we had guardrails or rumble strips in the downside of each pole. So if we're, if we're getting feedback about, are you experiencing me as rigid or are you experiencing me as ambiguous? We could have some conversations about, you know, the intention, sorry, that's my impact. I appreciate you sharing the feedback. My intention is that I'm trying to clarify my expectations on the, you know, on the structure side so that I can give you the freedom to, you know, to be. <laughs> And, and empower you to do your work in the way you want to do it. And so that I'm not a micromanager, but I'm afraid that if I give too much support and freedom, I'm not going to get the results that I need. And so notice there's a conversation happening here that might not otherwise happen through the prompting of the feedback that's generated by the early warnings. I'm thinking of a polarity that came up with a client a little bit ago where the individual is seen by some as confident and others as a jerk. <laughs> yeah. How do you begin to identify the upside of being seen as a jerk? Yeah. It's interesting that in the framing of that question, we were, we're almost required to talk about others. You know, there's, there's like the self and other dimension, which is a polarity in and of itself. It's like the smallest network that you can think about is the, is the dimension between self and other. It's two people. It's, it's the interpersonal dimension. So how do we know when our impact is, is perhaps different from our intent? Well, we get feedback from people. Uh, that may be about us. It also may be about the giver. The ability for self and other to have a productive conversation about our intent and impact with one another is an important dimension of capability and capacity to get along. <laughs> and if we are framing the tension between self and other as self or other, A, we're in trouble there. And then whatever the tension is, let's just say it's this one that we were talking about before around structure and flexibility. If we're framing that as an or, you can see how the situation goes south fast. 
What comes to mind as you're saying that, Cliff, thank you, is Judith Glasser's levels of conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Self and other is a positional conversation. And I'm being a jerk because I'm sticking to my position. Yeah, yeah. And the next level up of conversation is self with other co-creating the solution. Right. And it's a different relationship. So maybe the polarity is in the nature of the relationship as I'm listening to you and thinking about it rather than how people perceive me. But am I in positional relationships which have upsides and downsides? Yeah. Or am I in co-creating relationships which have upsides and downsides? Um, <laughs> I, again, I'm appreciating your your uh, skill at this interviewing process because a lot of the the tools and processes that we learn as coaches or you know i'm sure you've got gone through multiple certifications so there you you know you you flagged hey this sounds familiar around this conversation on you know judith glasser's got this wonderful methodology around you know conversational intelligence and she's got these three levels She's got the the positional, which I think is actually level two around advocate and inquire. And then, but there's a level one, it's transactional, it's around ask and tell. And then there's a level three that's much, it's around share and discover that's, that's a more um, transformational. Now, if you're a leader and someone's saying, you know, they're coming to you and they're saying, how do I do this? There might be a right way and there might be some serious requirements of doing it that way. So it's not really negotiable. You're working in healthcare, you know, there's a protocol for something. If you don't follow the protocol, someone dies. So it's like, you know, I'm asking, it's a transactional ask, okay, tell. So there's a reason, there's a good reason to leverage the polarity of ask and tell, not in every situation, but in some, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then others there's actually a little room to maneuver. And so I'm advocating for my position. I think we should do something this way. Someone else says, well, you know, tell me more about that. I'm gonna inquire about why do you think that? And I say, well, this way, well, here's how I see it. I'm gonna advocate from my point of view here because this, this is my experience. And I'm able to say, well, say more about that. You know, what happens if this or what happens? And we're, we're basically having this, it's an exchange of power, essentially, is what's happening in the advocate and inquire. We're both coming in, standing in our own voice and our own power. We're able to actually have this conversation and come, hopefully, come out with the best decision where the power differential doesn't get all messed up because of some, you know, kind of screwed up hierarchy, you know, that's present or, you know, some, frankly, I mean, I don't want to open up too big a can of worms in this conversation, but I mean, this is where historical power and privilege could could also completely screw up the polarity around, you know, gender or race or national origin or, you know, whatever, age. I mean, you know, the, the whole age demographic situation that we're experiencing in the workplace. So if there's a true greater purpose of let's come out with the best decision in service of ourselves, you know, our team, the organization, our clients, and we're able to stay in it and not let power for one or the other be the only determining factor, <laughs> then we can come out with a better solution. And my hunch is that there's probably some level three stuff going on in there around sharing, discovering is transformational. 
conversation, which is her level three. Notice there are three polarities at play here that are situational based on the the particular dimension of, of the conversation. And so if you're going to have conversational intelligence, she doesn't use the term polarity, but it's interesting that she lays it out in three pairs around level one, two, and three, ask, tell, advocate, inquire, and share and discover. And it's no accident that Judith Glaser has came up with that because those tensions live in conversations. And she decided my life's work, rest her soul, is going to be in and really uncovering the neuroscience of what's going on here and everything that's the, and, and that's going to be my contribution to the world is that we can have better conversations. You know, Myers-Briggs focused on personality and they've got four polarities. They call them dichotomies, you know, extroversion, introversion, sensing intuition, thinking, feeling, judging, perceiving. You can do four maps, go through the small process, four maps on the four dichotomies of Myers-Briggs. He did the same thing with Jim Collins, good to great. He's got his tensions. He calls them a level five leadership. And one of them is the one you mentioned, confidence and humility. You know, so these things are everywhere and other theorists have been onto them, you know, for as long as we've been trying to figure out the best ways to get along uh, in our human condition. The polarity lens is, I think, useful because you can apply it to all of these dimensions of personality, conflict, conversation, team development, organization development. We just launched a new nonprofit a couple of years ago called the Polarities of Democracy Institute. <laughs> so we looked at some key polarities that are inherent to our democracy. They're baked in, you know, right there in the, you know, in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all people are created equal and they're endowed by their creator with certain and alienable rights above them, life, liberty. So liberty and equality right there, poof, laid out as a pair. We need to do both. It's not an either or, but we can get really polarized around these tensions and, and we see it every day. Cliff, I started by asking you to help make this concept, this idea of polarities real mm -hmm. and understandable. And you have done just that. Oh, thanks. So I know we could go on and on and get deeper and deeper. Uh, unfortunately, we do need to wrap it up, but I would love to thank you for this conversation. Well, thank you for your powerful and well-placed questions. And you totally set me up to, to do what you had hoped that I would do. So I appreciate it. Mm -hmm.